My name is Julie Tai, and I am the director of chapel at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studios' audio stream of sermons drawn from campus chapels and preachers throughout our extended community. My name is Reverend Lauren Blanco, and I am going to read our scripture this morning. This is coming from Acts chapter 24. Five days later, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and an attorney, a certain Tertullus, and they reported their case against Paul to the governor. While Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Your Excellency, Governor, because of you, we have long enjoyed peace and reforms have been made for this people because of your foresight. We welcome this in every way and everywhere with utmost gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you to hear us briefly with your customary graciousness. We have, in fact, found this man, Paul, a pestilent fellow an agitator among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn from him concerning everything of which we accuse him. And the Jews also joined in the charge by asserting that all of this was true. When the governor motioned to him to speak, Paul replied, I cheerfully make my defense, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation. As you can find out, it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They did not find me disputing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd, either in the synagogues or throughout the city. Neither can they prove to you the charge that they now bring against me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our ancestors, believing everything laid down according to the law or written in the prophets. I have a hope in a God, in a hope that they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. Therefore, I do my best always to have a clear conscience towards God and all people. Now, after some years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to offer sacrifices. While I was doing this, they found me in the temple, completing the rite of purification without any crowd or disturbance. But there were some Jews from Asia. They ought to be here before you to make an accusation if they have anything against me. Or let these men here tell me what crime they had found when I stood before the council, unless it was this one sentence that I called out while standing before them. It is about the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. But Felix, who was rather well-informed about the way, adjourned the hearing with the comment, when Lysias the Tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he ordered the centurion to keep him in custody, but to let him have some liberty and not to prevent any of Paul's friends from taking care of his needs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. 
Thank you, Reverend Lauren, and hello, friends. Before arriving at Fuller um, as a chaplain three years ago, I was a local church pastor for almost 30 years, and the latter 20 of those years as founding pastor of Epic Church in Fullerton, California. And I consider myself really fortunate. The three congregations that I had the honor to serve as pastor during that time were filled with amazingly kind and generous and talented people. And yet even then, despite the best of circumstances, there were difficult days and very dark seasons because ministry is hard. I remember in the, the formative days of Epic, as we were reflecting upon and attempting to embody justice as a people and as a community, one of our board members began a meeting by unfolding an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and subsequently spent the next half hour reading through her enumerated list of grievances against me. I know it's just a regular piece of paper, but even as I replay it in my mind all these years later, I imagine her unrolling a scroll because it seemed that long. And I remember just sitting there in that meeting, taking it and being stunned. In Acts 24, we find the Apostle Paul accosted by Ananias, the high priest, and other Jewish elders who unroll a list of false charges against Paul. And if we learn anything from the sermons recorded in the book of Acts, it's that God's people have a terrible habit of silencing their truth tellers and killing their prophets until the truth that they tried to kill was God himself. If it's not clear already, the central issue that these religious leaders have against Paul is Gentile inclusion. Except that's not what they say is the issue. Instead, they resort to calling him names. They call him a pest, a disease, a plague, an agitator and troublemaker, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, a profaner of the temple. Paul's only quote-unquote crime, if you want to call that, was that he discerned what the Spirit of God was already doing, the wideness in God's mercy and love that included all people. And as it was in Acts 24, so often today in our churches still, much of the conflict revolves around who is included and who's excluded from our fellowships and from communion and from membership, and from leadership, and from the pulpit. And if you don't believe me, just ask any woman, ask any person of color, ask any person who identifies as LGBTQIA. Paul's hermeneutic of the gospel, however, is resurrection. It's an eschatological gospel because the old is passing away and behold, the new has come. And yet how many churches still long to be the first century church when we ought to be living today like the last century church that God has in mind? Paul doesn't operate simply from a yesterday gospel. He will not limit the spirit to only that which we have seen before. Paul has seen the future of God's new humanity breaking in, and he knows what is possible is limited only by what our hearts and our minds can discern and imagine. It is a gospel in which no person, 
no person falls outside of God's grace for us in Christ Jesus. And it's good news. It's great news. But believe me, not everyone will like it. There are so many of us here who have been silenced or called horrible names by misguided or misinformed or even abusive clergy. And there are many of us here who, as clergy and ministry leaders ourselves, have had our names dragged through the mud by members of our own congregations or by colleagues or by peers for proclaiming truth, for advocating for the vulnerable, for speaking out against racism and nativism and patriarchy and homophobia. I know, I know this because I've been called names too. I've had my motives and my intentions questioned. I've been on the receiving end of nasty emails and letters. I've been threatened to my face. And in many Asian American contexts, it can be even more baffling because often you'll never know who's upset at you because they won't tell you. They will just ignore you. They'll frown and be mopey around you. They'll whisper in corners. They'll stop inviting you to things. They show up less and less to church until they stop showing up altogether. And these aren't just people. These are people that you treated like family and vice versa. People you've known for years, who you've served together shoulder to shoulder, broke bread with, officiated their weddings, baptized their kids, loved them at their lowest. What they don't often teach in seminary is all the losses, all the grief, all the suffering, the suffering with people, the suffering for people, and the suffering because of people. And no one quite understands what that's like for a pastor. No one sees all the sacrifices. And it's easy to drown in self-doubt. And it can leave us disillusioned, wondering if it's worth it. And I know it's a lonely, lonely road. Like Jesus, no one understands this better than Paul. And what I appreciate about Acts 24 is what we can learn from Paul's response to his critics. In verse 16, Paul says that he lives with a clear conscience. I do my best always to have a clear conscience toward God and all people. A clear conscience toward God means at least living from our values and our convictions. Criticism is always cause for a gut check. It makes us ask ourselves, what is true? And who am I? And what do I value? And who do I understand Jesus to be? And what am I gonna stand for? When we live from our center, when we are authentically ourselves as God has created us, we will incur judgment and criticism and we will likely disappoint people because that's how life is. But at the end of the day, we must all live with ourselves. In the end, all we have is ourselves to offer. So living with integrity before God has to be enough. It also means living by treating people well. To have a clear conscience with all people means treating them well, even if they don't reciprocate. I make it a point as a pastor not to talk poorly about my critics in front of other people. And as I've gotten older, I know that the issue that they raise is usually not the real issue at all. It's something else underneath. And I understand that people often speak from their own fears 
and insecurities and their own wounding. And so no matter how I'm treated, I still try to be gracious. I still attempt to care for them, to pray for them, to be good to them. And I've never been in favor of defending myself against my critics. In fact, I always do my best to listen first, if I can, to be open to what they have to say, because sometimes they're right. And when they're right, I have to say I'm sorry, to apologize, to do some reflecting, to make amends, to change. But even when and if people, when they say things to me that hold no merit, God knows and God will justify us in time if that's necessary. And if someone treats you poorly or unfairly, I believe eventually that will come to light too. The second thing we learned from Paul is that Paul had friends. While in prison, it says in verse 23, Paul's friends come and care for him. I don't know whether accountability groups are still a thing, but I can tell you this, they don't work. All those big-name pastors who have fallen from grace over the years, I can almost guarantee you that they were in some form of accountability group. But what they needed wasn't an accountability group. What they needed were friends. Other people cannot hold us accountable. We can only hold ourselves accountable. What we can do is invite trusted people into our lives. Friends are like kindred spirits. And there are no hard and fast rules for these friends, except that they do not feel like work. My friends know that I'm a pastor, but they mostly see me as me. I can relax around them, and they have a way of seeing me and hearing me and being for me. And I hope it's mutual. They provide perspective and encouragement, and they tell me the truth about myself. No one survives, let alone thrives in ministry without a clear conscience and without friends. And if there's anything that seminary can do, it is to help on both those counts. And so if you're a student, I hope that Fuller is a place where your core values and your convictions are rediscovered and strengthened and where your authentic self is seen and heard and affirmed and liberated. And I hope seminary is a place, whether in person or online, where you find a few kindred spirits for the journey, people for whom you resonate with and friends who will love you and appreciate you. Remember that board member who enrolled the scroll of my despair many, many years ago? Well, several years later from that meeting, all those changes we were experimenting with as a church, all the uncomfortable wrestling with how to love our city and our neighbors and one another that she was complaining about, well, all that began to bear fruit. And it was a beautiful, energizing time for our church. And to her credit, this board member, she stuck with it. And that board member sat me down one day and apologized for it all all that she did and all that she said to me. And what she taught me was something really important about God, that God is always at work, even when we can't see it, even when ministry is painful. And it also taught me something important about people, that they can change. That board member and her family too 
became one of my biggest supporters and loyal friends. Neither she nor I are at Epic anymore, but I did receive this unexpected email from her earlier this year, and this is in part what she wrote. When I think of Pastor, you are prominent in our hearts and minds, and I believe always will be. We are continually grateful for the sacrifices you made, many that we will never know, for the church that was our home for two decades. You gave our family a foundation for interpreting many of the crises all around through God's heart for justice. You helped us understand his love for hospitality in the context of being introverts and having some Japanese American baggage. You connected us to others in the community within and beyond our church with whom we can grow in Christ and learn and serve. It was a great place for our family especially. And I want to say thanks again and ever. There is no doubt that in ministry, we will be hurt by false names that we are called, but they are not true. They are not true any more than they were true of Paul. And sometimes, just sometimes, our true names appear out of nowhere, like a scroll from God to heal and to restore and to reassure. And that scroll reads, friends, God is with you. And I call you by name. You are loved. And you will prevail. God bless. been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu slash studio.